podcast. It's called the Matthew West Podcast. I really hope you like it. My friends, I have to tell you about a company that my wife and I have fallen totally in love with. If you love essential oils, then you have to check out my friends at Simply Earth. Simply put, they're making our house smell amazing. And my studio, I'm talking to like, I walk inside and it's like, I'm smelling eucalyptus and dreams. But more important than that, I know that the air in our home is becoming toxin free, which if you're a parent like Emily and I, now more than ever, you want to make sure your kids are breathing in clean air. Simply Earth is helping us do that every month with my subscription and every month with your subscription, you're going to receive this box and it's super fun. You get four full-size essential oils and all the ingredients you need to make six natural recipes. I've got one in my hands right now and it comes with all these cool cards, all the recipes which are super fun to put together. It's kind of like a meal subscription kit except you don't want to eat this stuff. You just want to smell it and be happy. Here's the coolest part. These are essential oils that change the world. Here's how. Simply Earth donates 13% of their profits to help end human trafficking. So my wife and I, my family and I, we want to be about a cause greater than ourselves. And when we can do that by supporting a product that actually helps us, it's a win-win. So here's what you need to do. Go to simplyearth.com slash west. That's simplyearth.com slash west. You're going to enter a code and guess what the code is? Yep, west. When you do that, you're going to get a free $20 gift card with your first recipe box when you subscribe today. One more time, that's simplyearth.com slash west. Get a $20 gift card with your first recipe box when you use the code west and subscribe today. What's up, everybody? Thanks for listening to the Matthew West Podcast. I hope wherever you are, right here in this moment, that you are staying safe, staying sane, and staying encouraged. Speaking of being encouraged, I think that's exactly what's going to happen when you listen to the conversation that I get to have today with one of the coolest, most interesting couples that I have met in a long time. She is an Olympic gold medal winner. Did you hear that? Olympic gold medal winner. She's also the winner of season eight of Dancing with the Stars. So basically, I mean, we're talking like the winner of all winners. She's a best-selling author, winner, wife, winner, and mom. I'm exhausted just reading that list. Now, he is a Vanderbilt University grad, NFL football player, incredibly smart entrepreneur, investor, podcast host, YouTube content creator, husband, and father. Looks like we got two winners under one roof, and I'm quite intimidated. Together, they host their own podcast called Couple Things. They've even launched their own coffee company. And if you know me, you know that that is probably what gets me the most excited to talk to them because I love me some coffee. My guests today at the Story House are the East fam, Andrew East and his wife, Sean Johnson East. Let's go. So I can't believe it. You're here. <laughs> yes. Sean and Andrew, East meets West. East meets West. <laughs> I've been, that's literally my one note I wrote down. It's like, make sure you make that joke, East meets West. I'm a huge uh, fan of both of you guys. Oh, thank you. We're and, huge fans of you. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. So it's mutual, mutual yes. like uh, fandom. 
<laughs> Dude, I grew up listening to Matthew don't even West. Say man. That. I'm not kidding. And then we met you at Easter that four years ago, old. and I was like, Sean, you don't understand how big a deal this is. Whatever, dude. I'm no, not he was lying. being serious. That makes he me was a hundred percent starstruck when we went to Angie's house Dang. over Easter. Yeah, is that why? Okay, that explains because I remember you asked me to sign your forehead, and I was like, that's a little bizarre, <laughs> dude. Because when I was two or three years old, back when you were like really crushed. <laughs> Oh my god. Oh, oh, no, he's giving it. I'm gonna give it back. I was just coming real deep, Shrek. Oh, that's unbelievable. Oh, that's uh, brutal. Well, you guys are just doing some incredible things. I mean, you've done incredible things individually, but now seeing you two come together, here's where I was kind of thinking I'd like to start our talk. Yeah. One, I want to ask, like, do you guys get into conspiracy theories at all? <laughs> I'm yeah. Sean more so than I. Okay. Because <laughs> I have a conspiracy theory okay. that involves you guys and the government. Okay. And Sweet. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this last night. I was like, my conspiracy theory is that your marriage is a government arranged marriage <laughs> with the goal of creating like superhuman babies with incredible <laughs> athletic skills and 0% body fat. Uh, is there any truth to that conspiracy? Can we start that or let that just run wild? What were we told to do by our lawyer? I plead the fifth. That's yeah. what our lawyer is yeah. told us to say if yeah. anybody ever asks us. Oh, plead the yeah. fifth? Yeah. Okay. So you're not, you're saying there's a chance is yeah. what I'm hearing. I just am like blown away by the videos you guys post. I was watching you hosted a GNC workout workout class i'm like what the did heck? you try that workout no heck no i watched <laughs> i watched it and hoped i got in shape from <laughs> it <laughs> a part of me died during that workout i was doing it with the number two crossfitter in the world yeah and i was like if i give myself a 30 percent handicap on this i might have a chance yeah and it wasn't enough i got demolished still i think it was like five workouts five exercises five, exercises. five times and it just crushed you yeah but you guys, even in your non-workout times, you're posting funny videos, but you're still doing things the average human can't do. <laughs> There's a lot of handstands. A lot of handstands. You know the average person can't do a handstand and <laughs> drink water at the same time. I don't know how you guys are. Are we going to do a segment oh. where part of the podcast is all of us in a handstand <laughs> having a conversation? If Maybe you have your way, evidently. <laughs> when I watch your videos, the stuff you let your fans have you guys do, it made me kind of scared for what today's podcast could be because I was afraid I might leave here shaving my legs. Or Dude. They yeah. look good though. I mean, you no, can, you can this see my shit. Oh, yeah, this is no. goodness, dude. Yeah, no, because it's coming back in now. So it's, I think it, it looks, looks strange. Everybody calm down. Okay. Uh, but so this YouTube series, it's called The East Fam, pretty much. It's called The East Fam. Yeah. And it's amazing. Oh, thank by the you. way. Appreciate <laughs> thank it. The East Fam. So in this last episode that I saw, was it the most recent one yeah. where you let fans tell you? Yeah, it was like it was truth or dare. Truth or dare. dare. Yeah. yeah. And most of them wanted something done to you. Andrew. Yeah, because they know, know he'll do anything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which actually has started to concern me because people will say stuff and you're like, yeah, I'll do it. I'm like, no. Yeah, I'll do it. Like you were going to eat like a, a half a cup of salt. Don't do that. You tried it too. Dude, have you ever poured salt around in your Don't tongue? Don't no, ever I've never do done it. That. No, because normal human beings You've never wouldn't done the do cinnamon it. challenge? No. Don't no. do that Dude, either. We should do it's that. It's very dangerous. We should do that with the So before you leave today, we'll do the cinnamon <laughs> no, challenge? Dude. No. We'll get a, yes. Is it awful? It's you both so spit bad. it out. So 
everybody listening to this, which oh, I, I don't know if you're a publicist, so I only have two listeners. So <laughs> it's my mom and my dad. So the pressure's off. Okay. So, okay. so don't worry. You can say anything right now. Okay, my great. mom and dad will love it. Great. No, but to everybody listening to this, they need mm-hmm. to go and watch your YouTube series. Do you post every week? We post every Thursday and Sunday. Twice a week. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how you have time <laughs> because I follow you guys. Some would call it stalking, but it's, it's not, I don't think <laughs> the law needs to be involved. But like ever since, so we met, we've met on different occasions, but yes. the last time I think I saw you guys was at Top Golf for oh. a fundraiser. Yes. Oh, dang. Whoa. Do you remember that? I we forgot about actually, that. So it was a pretty, pretty special <laughs> moment for, for you two. <laughs> I think we actually uh, met even after that. Oh, we did? I ran into you at a coffee shop at Seaside. Oh, that's oh, right. Yeah. At the beach. Were you there with friends? or? I was there with Josh and Chelsea Axe. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay, that's right. That's our happy place down it's at the beach. Ama- it's so beautiful I just down remember, there. I just thought I remembered you having blonde hair, but now you got like a bunch of grays. Oh, so I just, and I don't, I just, what is happening, Sean? <laughs> Have you seen his hair? He's going almost Easy. white, so yeah, don't no, worry. It's, it, I, I'm speaking on self Whatever, dude. <laughs> Your hair game's strong. I noticed you like growed it out. Growed it out. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to correct you. <laughs> I did college uh, real good. <laughs> <laughs> so you grew it out yeah. over quarantine, right? I grew it out for the past three years. Dude. Yeah. And then I got a cut in quarantine. Okay. Yeah, I chopped it off in quarantine. We did like this whole fundraiser, the the hairline for the front line. Andrew. <laughs> did you come up with that title? Yeah. You're yeah. so creative. <laughs> what, what, were you growing it out because you wanted to be that guy in the NFL that the hair came under the helmet? Like the Clay Matthews kind of thing? <laughs> yeah. Kind of like the poor man's version of Clay Matthews. <laughs> like, like Clay Matthews, but way weaker. Uh, it's funny. You said like you're impressed by our athleticism. I don't know if you know what a long snapper is. Dude. It's not known. For... Don't even put <laughs> yeah, it no. down. No. Unbelievable. But, you're an unbelievable athlete. And Vanderbilt graduate too, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's really that. smart. That was in my introduction of you because I wanted to highlight the fact of your brilliance. Go doors. Not just anybody goes to no. Vanderbilt. And to brag on him, he got his MBA and your civil engineering undergrad degree and started football four years, finished it all in five. This which is unbelievable. This podcast is going to play at my funeral, I think. This will be like my, this will <laughs> just yes. be my obituary because oh, you guys are just. Wait, yeah, I'm the one with all the gray hair, I thought. <laughs> yeah. I th- this will play at my funeral. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be your highlights read at my funeral. So you went to Vandy, but where are you originally from? Indianapolis. Okay. So did you get recruited out of Indiana? Yeah, the whole story of me ending up at Vanderbilt is wild. A, because I'm not that good at football. And what? I wasn't, I was no, 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 I wasn't that recruited. I and had Sean's zero not very offers. good at gymnastics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a different story. But I like didn't have any offers coming out of high school. Were you a long snapper in high school too, or did you play other positions? I did play long snapper in high school, but I was getting recruited as a linebacker. Gotcha. Signing day for my senior year came and went. And I was going to go play at Wheaton College with my brother. It's like a D3 school. That's not far from where I grew up. Love. Yeah, <laughs> Chicago. Yeah, Wheaton. And you had to have a 3.0 GPA. <laughs> yes. I almost played football at Wheaton College. No way. I know. Hard to believe. But I didn't have a 3.0 Coming GPA. out of high school? <laughs> yeah, coming out of high school. I was coming in hot. You should have it seen It sounds like you really, you growed into a whole new man. <laughs> <laughs> I have grown so good. <laughs> So you were going to go play at Wheaton because you didn't have a scholarship. Yeah, yeah. So April rolls around, which is like way later to make any college decision, even if you're not an athlete. And I get a call from the head coach and he says, hey, we want to offer you a scholarship. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I saw that you gave away all your scholarship positions months ago. He's like, well, we had a tragic occurrence happened 
Vandy's highest rated recruit like ever. He was a running back out of Atlanta. He had a little brother with disabilities and then a mom whose boyfriend broke in in the middle of the night and started shooting around. And Rajon Bennett is his name, jumped in front of his little brother. To save his brother. And took a bullet. And so because of this, they had the scholarship spot open up. And they wanted me to take it. And so here I am, like such a roller coaster of emotions. Cause on the one hand, it's like a dream come true. I got a D1 scholarship to an SEC school. On the other hand, what tragic circumstances. And in my life, honestly, it's been such a really cool, like tangible example of, in a lot of ways, like my faith, mm. not directly parallel, but something tragic happened that has allowed me to do something right. incredible, you know? And so that's been something I've tried to really appreciate and carry gratitude from like forever. Like somebody else's tragedy winds up, it's almost bittersweet. hundred mm-hmm. percent opportunity. Did he survive that? No. Shooting? So he died. passed away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. And you wind up getting this scholarship, making the most of it, obviously. Did you grow up with a faith background? Did you grow up like in a Christian home in Indiana? Yeah, I was super fortunate. Middle of five kids. My mom and dad were awesome. They're always telling me, you know, like pray about it. And, you know, it wasn't like overbearing, but my mom was the sweetest and sent us a young life camp. And so I just was fortunate enough to have that kind of perspective going into college and my football experience. So, yeah. You always strike me as somebody with a lot of ambition. I feel like sometimes it takes one to know one. Like my ambition has been a blessing and a curse at times. Sometimes it takes over. So even when you talk about like mom saying pray about it, Mm -hmm. like I had the same parents. (laughs) They were always like, hey, Matthew, God's got a plan for your life and his plan is better than your plan. I'm like, oh yeah, 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 sure, (laughs) sure. How about I go do what I need to do and then I'll seek God's stamp of approval. I'll give him all the credit after I make it happen. Has that been like any element of your story? Is it a challenge for you sometimes to go, wait a minute, God, what's your plan here? Well, I think in a lot of ways I've been fortunate because my plan hasn't worked out on my timeline. So like, all I wanted to do when I was in high school was get a D1 scholarship and play D1 football. That was the plan. That was it. And then signing day came and went, and that dream disappeared. And then two months later is when, so I had to reconcile with that of like, oh, maybe this isn't going to happen. Maybe this isn't for me, and that's not in the cards for me. Yeah. And so I had to go through that whole process, and then that door was open for me. And it was kind of the same thing with the NFL where – I came out of college and signed a four-year deal with the Chiefs. I thought I was going to be playing football for 10 years. I got cut after three months, and I was like, oh, maybe this isn't for me. And then it was five years later after I had to reconcile with, hey, there's kind of this identity crisis that I feel like everyone goes through, including athletes, of who am I outside of my sport? Right. And so I had to go through that. You had to go through that early. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then my dream happened. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think I've been fortunate to not have things work out like I wanted them to. (laughs) Which is an interesting statement that people, I think, need to hear. Like, that actually sometimes it is fortunate for things not to go the way that you want them to go. It's like the best thing that never happens to you versus the best thing that ever happens to you. It's funny. Like, I wanted to be a baseball player coming out of high school. I cut out the article in the Chicago Sun-Times that said I was the number one first baseman prospect coming out of high school. I cut that article out, took it to all my classes (laughs) in high school. So when the Mm -hmm. teacher asked me why I wasn't working, I literally slid it across the desk. I was like, hey, (laughs) hey, whose name is on top of that list? (laughs) Are you kidding me? True story. Guess how many scholarships I got. Your wife married married that guy? (laughs) No, (laughs) because I've grown out of that. I've grown a whole new level of humility. But same thing of just like, you know, 
okay, that didn't work. And that was the first time I remember going, okay, wait a minute, maybe there's something to what my parents are saying. And my dad used to always try to put it in baseball terms, like, hey, God's plan for you, it's a major league plan. Yours is a minor league plan, Mm -hmm. which is where I would have landed if I would have ever made it anywhere as a minor league baseball player. And I'm so glad now that it goes the way God wants it to go first. So you come to Vanderbilt, you graduate. Did you meet while you were still in college? I was yes. uh, in my fourth year of Andy, yeah. And you had moved to Nashville by this point? No. So <laughs> I moved to Nashville for Andrew. <laughs> you did? Yeah, I was a stalker. Probably legally by then. <laughs> but you were playing, from what I've heard of your story, you were playing a little more hard to get. Like, he was stalking oh, you a little bit more, right? For sure. Isn't that the yeah. truth? Let's just be honest. <laughs> so I met his <laughs> oldest brother... In London during the Olympic Games, I wasn't competing. I was just there working. What was your brother doing there? He made the Olympic cycling team. What the heck? I know. What is your family? <laughs> Who are you? But then, well, crazy story. The U.S. Olympic team ended up cutting his event, so yeah. he was like, he went through this whole process. He's what was a his event? Velodrome track racing. There was like a specific event. You ever seen like the velodrome cycling? Yeah. He did the Madison. My goodness. It's a wild race that used to last up to 24 hours. It was like a full days of racing. Anyway, they cut it. So he ended up going with Athletes in Action and bumped into Sean over there. And told me all about his younger brother that I had to meet when I went back to the United States. Because he had a feeling you guys would hit it off? Yeah. So he was kind of playing matchmaker. Oh, he played straight up matchmaker. And he crushed it. (laughs) Is he an executive at (laughs) eHarmony now? (laughs) He is, isn't he? (laughs) He started Christian Mingle. Christian, <laughs> Christian Mingle. Mingle. Yeah. Yes. That's better than Farmers Only. <laughs> yeah. So I flew back and I was living in Los Angeles at the time. He flew out. We like had our first date. I really didn't think it was going to work out. You just found him incredibly unattractive. Or, <laughs> yeah. I just find you repulsive. I'm not sure what it is. I just, I couldn't see how it would work because you lived in Nashville and whatever. But fast forward. We talked for like nine months. I no, was no. looking. I texted Sean yeah. for nine months. Did she like sporadically respond or what? One word answers. So I don't know what your limit is, your threshold for like, all right, I can't send eight messages. Eight. Unresponded to in a row. Oh. That but makes, I was that like, sounds So bad. like eight was my number. Eight like, means like, okay, she's not. It's done. Yeah, whatever. For whatever <laughs> I'm with reason. you on that. I'm with you. And you would send eight over the course of like a month, not like eight on yeah, a day. I wasn't like obnoxious. Okay. All right. But. She would always like respond after the eighth one. I was like, I'm still in the game, baby. Like, here we go. (laughs) So you're right at that point. Here comes text number eight and you're thinking, I'm moving on. And then you would just string him along a little bit. I evidently. You were on Dancing with the Stars at that time. I was, which made it really complicated because I was so focused on that. And I didn't understand how a long distance relationship could work. After the show finished, we were kind of talking. He invited me to Nashville. I was looking at going to Vanderbilt. I had deferred college for seven years. So I was between Stanford or Vanderbilt. And I said, I'll come out and check out the college. And then fell in love and moved there for My him. My goodness. Yeah. Did you like living in LA? Or like, were you thinking you might stay there or yeah. go to Stanford? Yeah. So Stanford was my dream school my entire life. Really? I grew up, my entire closet was just Stanford University gear. I wanted to do gymnastics there. But when I gave up my eligibility, I wanted to go to school there. My dream was to be a doctor. Did Stanford have like an elite gymnastics? Yeah. And so growing up in Iowa, you would see that. And is that where the love for Stanford came from? Or just- Yes. And it also stemmed randomly from my coach. 
he moved here from China and he was my coach my entire life, but he had an infatuation with Stanford and he just said, it's an Ivy league school. It's a great gymnastics program. Cause I was looking at going to Iowa and he said, no, you need to go to Stanford. (laughs) And I was like, okay. Wow. But I was with him from the time I was three. So I think that probably played a big factor. So did you wind up going back to school then? I went back to school for a year. To so Vandy? I got into Vanderbilt, was getting ready to start my first semester, and then booked The Apprentice. Oh, that's right. Yes. The Celebrity Apprentice. That's one babe. thing that's I left a- off of your introduction. <laughs> okay, I talk, okay. Your, your list of accomplishments, <laughs> both of you guys, it's so long that literally oh, no. we've already cut off this interview. We're not even playing <laughs> anymore. I, had to, I needed all the time just to read what you guys have already accomplished. Uh, so you went to Vandy for one year. Well, I never actually started at Vandy. When I booked Celebrity Apprentice, I was trying to work with Vanderbilt and figure out a way where I could go to school and do the show at the same time. Vandy and, has zero online classes. So yeah. they're like, no. So they had kind of a zero tolerance policy, which is fine. That's how their school does it. And Even I, if I you were going that. on national television yeah. as a Vandy student. With the soon-to-be president. Doesn't cut right. it for him. Yeah. So I ended up, had to pull out of Vanderbilt and then transferred to Penn State online because it was back then the only like accredited school that was fully online i did one year and got really frustrated with college i was paying so much money for something that wasn't really helping my career wow and yeah it was a love-hate relationship with that and at that so. point you'd already written books even before that right even before that you'd already accomplished so much and now you meet andrew <laughs> so yes. wait forgive my ignorance on the celebrity apprentice part but did you get to hear you're fired oh yes i did Yes. <laughs> At what point in the show did you get fired? Four weeks in. Well, that's pretty good. Not bad. I didn't really want to stay on the show. Nothing against anyone on the show. It just was so cutthroat that I, yeah, I wasn't made for that show. I don't know, man. You got some determination. You. <laughs> but you made it four weeks. Yeah. And of course, Dancing with the Stars. Yes. So were you like falling in love? Were you watching it on ABC just going, man, I got to text her after this episode. I'm so in love. That cha-cha, that dance. (laughs) No, if I would have done that, it still would have been weird. But I would always walk in the dorm room and since my roommates knew I had gone on a date, they'd be watching it and be like looking for my reaction. Like, what do you think? Well, we got it on, Andrew. What do you think? That's incredible. I'd be like, let me go watch it by myself. Okay. I I actually came to visit him one time. It was right after his birthday. And his roommate had cut out life-size pictures of me with my dance partner in full costume. And they cut out my dance partner's face and put Andrew's face on it. Like (laughs) plastered my whole room with that. I could see you going on Dancing with the Stars next. He would be amazing. He would be. I I know. You've already got your legs shaved and everything. Have you seen my salsa hips? They're pretty great. (laughs) Your salsa (laughs) hips. Has Sean seen them? (laughs) It's a very small circle that's seen the salsa hips. (laughs) It's not a thing. I I thought you were going to say that when you came to visit, you found like this DVD stash where he had like Uh, recorded all of your performances. (laughs) That would be weird. Uh, Like, this is creepy. I would have been like, okay. (laughs) Was your first Olympic Games? The first one that you won as well? Yes. Kind of first and only. So I competed in 2008 in Beijing. I was 16 years old. That was my first Olympics. Did well. And then... Uh, Okay. (laughs) That was like the the understatement of the entire interview. So one gold medal. Yes. And three silver. Three silver. Yes. My goodness. And then I tried to make a comeback for 2012 and ended up retiring 
a week before Olympic trials just because I injuries or what? Um, yes and no. I just wasn't my heart wasn't in it anymore. Mm. I remember getting that close and having a good feeling that I could have made the team. And I remember thinking like it just wasn't my time. I couldn't see myself taking that position from someone else whose dream it was to be on the team like it was for me in 2008. And I just, I wasn't there. So talk about major league plans versus minor league plans. Right. If Sean would have made that 2012 Olympics, she would not have met my brother, Yeah. which then she would not have met me. So what I'm saying is I'm the major league plan. There, you are. <laughs> You're the gold medal. You are. <laughs> you are the new gold medal. But in all seriousness, that would not have for happened. Real, so it's just, yeah. Isn't that incredible how that works yeah. out? But did you feel like you had lost the fire for the sport in general? Yeah. I remember in 2008, I would have done anything to get to the Olympics. It was my dream in life. There was no hurdle too big that I couldn't overcome or figure out a way to work through to make that Olympic team. And in 2012, I almost was like dreading being named to the team. I just like mentally was exhausted. Physically, I was exhausted. And I was getting little injuries that in 2008 would have been really easy to work through. But in 2012, it seemed monumental. Gotcha. And I just kind of had this thought that it shouldn't be this way. Mm. And there's got to be a girl just as equally talented, if not more talented than I am, whose dream it is to be on the Olympic team that I could potentially take it from just because I have that experience. That's got to be a pretty uncommon mentality among like anybody who's achieved greatness on any level. It seems like they have this kind of insatiable desire for more. At least Mm -hmm. in my own life, I just feel like I feel like I get to the top of a ladder and I'm immediately looking around to figure out what the next ladder is to climb. And that's a real struggle from ambition, you know, like we're Mm -hmm. talking about. But for you to have that perspective tells me that you weren't afraid as much of what's next. Yeah. Did you just feel like, hey, I've got other things. Were you looking at another ladder that you were already ready to climb? I wasn't. So in 2008, I was predicted to win four Olympic golds instead of one and three. And the big one that I was working towards was the all around. I remember getting silver on it and kind of feeling like I had lost and people would ask me, how does it feel to lose all this stuff? And then I go through three silvers and then I finally win a gold. I've done like an I am second on this before too, where I remember standing on the Olympic gold medal podium and thinking I've worked my entire life for this moment and I don't feel complete. Because and of the three silvers? No, it's just like I went silver, 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 feeling a little bit incomplete, thinking mm. that it was the gold that was going to fill that. And I get the gold, and I was like, I still don't feel any different. It's cool, but it doesn't complete my life. Like, wow. I really thought it was going to. Yeah. So in 2012, I think it made it easier to turn it down because I knew even if I went and won another gold, my life still wasn't going to be complete, and no monetary thing could do that for me. But to have that kind of lesson that early in <laughs> yeah. your life is pretty crazy. Yeah. Were you intimidated by like dating a gold medal winner? Like, did she wear it on dates? <laughs> There's actually a funny video that you you did it in 2008 with some comedian. And yeah. He, oh, yeah. She was like, yeah, usually when I go on a date, people make fun of me for how short I am. But then I stand on top of my stack of medals. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be it, like it a, a comedy skin. It was yeah. a comedy skin commercial or something. Yeah. But this honestly has been such a positively humbling experience. When I finally made my dream come true of playing in the NFL, yeah. I was like, dang, I deserve all the love right now. Like, right. look at me. I'm, I'm an right. NFL player, but nobody cared about me. It was all like, hey, so you're married to Sean Johnson. Like, wow. people call me like Mr. Johnson. It's like, you know what? As tough as it is, it's as good for me to not get what I want, which right. is all the attention. So 
I think it's actually been a good thing for our marriage that I've had to consciously realize that it's not about me. Mm. It's about you. And a lot it's not of, about me. No, I'm just saying, like, it's humbling is what no, I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like when I first got married, I quickly understood that this was going to be an exercise of, like, <laughs> getting rid of all the selfishness in me. And then when you have kids, it's like times 10 it's like yeah. oh it's really not about me <laughs> yeah. you know but it's interesting because like in our house it's like i'm the one that people know and and sometimes what will really bother me is like if my wife feels like you know some other person reaches out to her or whatever but she feels like it's just because of me to get to you yeah mm-hmm. and that bothers me a lot of times because mm-hmm. i am kind of the more out front member of our family but in your guys case it really is more balanced than what you just described i know you're being self-deprecating but it is interesting because <laughs> you guys are both accomplishing incredible things together but to still understand like hey it's okay to not be the one in the spotlight in this moment. So you have a whole digital media team that you've put in place. Like you have a company that you've started. So it's funny. We started YouTube 2016 and that was because I got cut from the chiefs and I was like, I don't know what to do with my life. I signed up to be an Uber driver. And then I was like, let's just start a YouTube channel and document our wedding planning process. Cause that's the same year we we're getting married. So we just started like doing super casual. I would just like whip a camera out whenever I was tagging along with Sean and it's turned into like now we kind of view it as we're producing like four or five shows. And so each of those shows has to be out. Like one of them is Thursday, Sunday, another is every Monday, another is every Wednesday. And it's like, so it's a lot of work and it takes a lot of planning and like thought and creative. And then also, you know, kind of maintenance, I guess. Yeah. We have a full digital management team. Are they in the house? Like, filming you guys constantly then like do they live on the premises or two people come in every, every single day. day every day yeah 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 so you're documenting your lives on film daily for at least yeah. a portion of the day we used to and it got out of control because it was like sean didn't feel like home was a safe place and then i felt super weird because it was you know some of the best quote-unquote videos that we could make would be the most vulnerable things yeah. that we could film so now we've got kind of our show down to a point where we kind of narrate it almost like a reality show. So it takes way less stress yeah. on our personal. Because you got to live your life too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when you talk about vulnerable, one of the images that stuck out to me is like you're crying, I think holding a pregnancy test yep. and just that moment of like, holy cow, like the world's getting to see that. And people love that yeah. because you're letting them see that. But then you have to probably work to really preserve a version of your private life in moments yeah. where you're able to just live your lives. We've gotten really good. And it's been just long enough that we've learned everything the hard way that we've learned how to like script our lives pretty much. We'll basically experience something. We'll fight through it. We'll go through it. We'll enjoy it. We'll love it, whatever. And then it becomes part of the show we want to share with the world. So then we will film it in real time. But then it's not until afterwards that we've truly experienced something personally that we're editing it to share with everyone. Yeah. Even if that's a day past or like months past, we try to make sure we get to live our life good. and then share that's really it good. with the world. And there can be a lot of unresolved, like even if it's a minor conflict or whatever, it's like we'll <laughs> never share that. Like Sean broke her toe or I busted my head right after we had a kid. And it was like, there's a lot of like fear, honestly. Yeah. It was like, Sean, like, why'd you pass out? And why'd you bust your head? So like, right. once we've worked through those issues, it's like, okay, now do we want to share this? Is it worth, yeah. you know? It's interesting. Like, it's not unlike the songwriting process that I feel like sometimes the most 
impactful songs are written when I'm in the middle of it versus when I'm on the outside of it looking back mm -hmm. because I've already figured out how I should process it and then how I should communicate it to the world. You can mm -hmm. come at it from a more of a place of authority as a songwriter, but when you're right in the middle of it and I can point to the songs that I've written when I know in my heart that, oh, yeah. no, 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 I didn't, I didn't see how that was going to end yet. I was still writing just in that raw place and that tends to be where the power is <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean as much as we don't like it yeah but I think that's what people are resonating with when they listen to your podcast or watch your YouTube series it's like okay like they're not afraid to let us see like, what's going on in their lives you passed out working <laughs> out and hit your head Dude, I don't know how the first couple months were for you after you had your first kid but like I was like super sleep deprived so I would like just work out whenever I could and I would only have caffeine Anyway, so I woke up one morning at like 5.30 to work out with a couple of my friends. Yeah. And first thing I did, no warm-up, was I tried to power clean 185 pounds. Oh, I've done that a million times. <laughs> you just never do that first. That's exactly right. No, it doesn't. So no. then it like caused this whole reaction. I passed out, which I'd never Cracked passed out open. before. And then I was asleep upstairs with the baby. <laughs> it was just a mess. You were still working 60-hour weeks, and it was just yeah. a crazy We've done a lot of things wrong. You're not sleeping. No. So this was when Drew was how old? Like four. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Real young. It's overwhelming, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, if you don't have kids, <laughs> to understand that first, I remember my mom came to visit and we did not want her to leave, which is odd for parents and in-laws. <laughs> yeah. But I remember just going like, wait a minute, when she leaves, that's the end it's of just our us. reprieve. Yeah. There's oh, yeah. no rest. Yeah. So that's I, understandable. I was afraid before we had our daughter that my parents had just moved to Nashville and I was like, I don't want anybody to come to the house for the first few weeks. I like, I want time you to want be mom. mom. Yeah. yeah. That changed real quickly. Quick. Yeah. I was like, mom, <laughs> can you come over the day she's born yeah. <laughs> and cook and clean and take her? And oh, like, yeah. Oh, my gosh. And you have that kind of mom? Uh, yes. She's at her house every single day. So do they live in Nashville now? Yeah. Okay. So yep. they get to be close to Drew. And, yes. And how old's Drew now? She's nine months old. Nine months. So yeah. does she have her back handspring yet? Um, almost. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Double back. I'm telling you, yeah. I think it's the conspiracy <laughs> theory. And then when I hear like Vanderbilt and Stanford, it's not just the physical prowess, it's the mental. I don't know how many children you're going to have or what the government <laughs> is going to require from you, but I feel like our U.S. military is in... Good hands. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to check the contract that we signed to yeah. see how many kids they're <laughs> yeah. forcing us to. Yeah. <laughs> Football <laughs> team. Yeah, exactly. Have you officially retired or I have your not. Wikipedia says that you're a free agent, by the way. Oh, that's cool. I did not know that. I appreciate <laughs> yeah. Thanks for filling me in on that. Yeah. I have not officially retired, but I feel like I am right where I need to be. Hmm. Sean and I have a lot of fun things that we're working on. We stay super busy. And when I look at last year, had I been on a team, I got released in September. Drew was born in October. I would not trade that for anything. You know what I'm saying? Like I would not trade the first couple months, even as hard as they were. It was terrible. Don't get me wrong, but I would not trade that for it anything. It was amazing. Yeah, well, it's like, <laughs> don't say it's what, terrible. Oh, no, you no, mean no. terrible meaning not being picked up by a team? No, no, no. I, no I'm about <laughs> <laughs> First couple of months are so tough. See? Yeah, but that's, yeah. Why are you disagreeing? 
because you're focused on the yeah the snuggles. It's a baby. The, yeah, it's it's a baby. I loved it, but it's terrible. Like, don't get me wrong. I loved it, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. So yeah. let me ask you this real quick. <laughs> Let's just go straight to the delivery room. <laughs> okay. Because I thought you were going to say you passed out and hit your head and the delivery, the delivery room. or something. Oh, no, no. But that moment when that baby's first born. You were in the delivery room, mm-hmm. I would assume. Yeah. For me, the first thing I thought was like, I was counting fingers and toes. But like, <laughs> you as dad, what was your first thought when the baby was born? Do you remember? Or first feeling? Well, so first of all, it's so wild because like, I'm trembling because all the emotions. And like, I was like giggling slash crying. Like, it's such a weird emotional time. And Sean was physically shaking because of whatever, like, you know. Shock? The- Shock. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. But then they pulled Drew up. And she didn't make a noise. She didn't move. So literally my first thought was... Like, is she okay? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then like, it took about five seconds before she cried. And then it was like, oh <laughs> my God, I got chills just thinking about it. It's so wild. Oh, and man. is she a good sleeper right now? We're very spoiled. Yeah. Good. She slept through the night at eight weeks old and she slept through the night since then. Praise so, the Lord. Right? Yeah, we're very lucky. It's so funny though. You talk about like, if this would have happened then I would have missed this. And the perspective of that in life, that in itself is the evidence that somebody else is in control and that the author of all stories knows how things are going to play. He's not caught off guard when the chiefs cut you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's not going, man, I didn't see that one coming yeah, yeah. for Andrew. He's like, no, 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 I got this. And he's not mm-hmm. caught off guard when you go, you know what? Maybe this time the Olympics are not for me. And when I hear you guys talk, it makes me think of moments in my own life the amazement of how big God is that he's involved in the little details. Mm-hmm. And those little details are just one little like glimpse after the other that, wait a minute, mm-hmm. somebody else is authoring this story. And this podcast is really all about that, the power of story. And in my travels around the country, the people that I meet, so many people share with me, like they feel like the story doesn't matter. They feel like their story's taking too many wrong turns. Their story's insignificant. The story's not going the way they want it to. Or their story is like disqualified, like, well, God couldn't redirect this path. Mm -hmm. It's too off base or whatever. And so the whole hope with this is like when I get to hear stories like yours and give you a platform to share different parts of your story for people to see, wait a minute. Okay, so they're hugely successful in the world's eyes, but their lives haven't even entirely Mm -hmm. gone the way they thought it should. But guess what? It's always better when we're trusting that God's plan is intact and we're choosing to follow that and the best chapters are yet to come. One of the things I think about when I hear both of you talk is like, I've been thinking a lot lately about the term second act (laughs) because as a recording artist, you know, and as you already pointed out how old I am (laughs) and and how I was popular when you were three years old. But you know, as an artist, sometimes it's like, I'm in an industry that praises youth. You know what I mean? Gymnastics. Mm -hmm. Hello. Yeah, You know, football, we all come from these different industries that the older you get, it's not like the more relevant you become. It's not like the business world mm-hmm. where right, you know, right, some right. guys are hitting their stride or 75 years old. I've thought about that a lot in my own life and thinking about like, wait a minute, who's to say I'm limited to this season of recording artists as being like, well, when that's done, that's it. That will be the highlight of my life. And then there's no second act. And I've been kind of getting fired up to think about, Mm -hmm. man, that is not how God operates. Like, he doesn't say there's going to come a point where your best is behind Mm -hmm. you. He promises, like, new mercy every day. He also says, I'm doing a new thing. And sometimes it's hard to feel like, wait, what is that new thing? It's hard to see that. But you guys have both been in positions where 
you've either been forced to see it or you've chosen to see it. And I think if you specifically, Sean, like coming out of like winning a gold medal, someone would be like, well, man, where do you go from there? And yet look where you've gone from there. How have you been able to maintain that perspective that what's coming is going to be even what's better than what's happened? I didn't always think that. Really? No. Was there a time where you thought like, okay, it's all not downhill? I, but I no, mean, absolutely. The hard thing about the Olympics for me, but I think for every elite athlete or elite performer or profession of any kind is like when I won my gold medal at 16 years old, I didn't have the mental capacity to see past that. I was a child. And I remember waking up the next morning feeling like I had ran straight into a brick wall wow. because I didn't know how to eat. I didn't know how to work out. I didn't know whether to set an alarm. I didn't know who to talk to, how to dress, because every decision I made my entire life was based off of that one dream. Okay. And when the entire world kind of writes this narrative and story saying, when you reach an Olympic gold, you've hit the epitome of success, there truly is no way to go up from that, mm -hmm. like from the world's perspective or like the media outlets and tabloids and everything. And so for me as a kid, I had just accepted that I had reached the epitome of my career and there was no way I was ever going to go higher. I was just going to fall off the face of the earth, basically. Which that's where she met me was off the face <laughs> yeah. of the earth. Yeah. There you that's were how, um, at rock bottom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing what you find. Like you ever go fishing in the ocean, just let your line go <laughs> yeah. all the way to the bottom. You pull up some yeah. nasty stuff. I know. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> <laughs> but I felt like as a kid at 16... The world was like, oh, so you're going to go for another Olympic gold medal because that's your only choice. Right, if like you want to, wanna, do it again. yeah, if you want to maintain the same level you're at, you obviously have to do the same thing and go bigger and get more. And I felt lost for many, many years trying to like find another success or another outlet where I could find that kind of high that I felt at the Olympics from people's approvals. And I just slowly, year after year, realized I was never going to get it unless I found it myself and mm. started trying things that I was miserable at and met Andrew. And he encouraged me to kind of step out of that box that I had put myself in. So and, you were part of that. Oh, <laughs> like you saw that in her that she was trying to find her second act. Massively. I remember one of the biggest issues when we started dating, and we had many arguments and conversations over it, was he said whenever we were basically behind closed doors, it was like the girl he had fell in love with. Wow. But then whenever I stepped out in public, I became a completely different person. But it was Like who you I were on? Yeah. It was yeah. who I was coached to be. It was how I acted, how I responded to people, my answers to opinions. I mean, everything. And you just really encouraged me day by day by day to embrace who I was and to not care what people thought. Wow. Mm. You weren't afraid to like tell the truth in that and encourage her in that way. I looked at Sean and I looked at my own football career and I realized like, all right, if I'm a long snapper on a college football team and I'm experiencing this phenomenon of people only want to talk to me about right. football, right. how much more is that happening with Sean and her gymnastics career? So anytime we would talk, actually like the first, I would say <laughs> maybe three months of dating zero gymnastics was mentioned. I was purposely excluding that from the conversation because I know that there's so much more. And like, she's pretty much on repetition, just answering like, oh, tell me about the Olympics. Like, what was it right. like to win a gold medal? You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, right. those are generic questions. Right. And so I was really just trying to like well, get to know her. It's no wonder that you guys wound up hitting it off. I mean, mm -hmm. similar experiences and then an understanding. I think even for me, I used to like date girls who really loved what I did. Mm -hmm. 
but something about that didn't feel right. And I think it was speaking to my fear that, well, wait a minute, I was seeing down the road, like, what about if that's not what I do anymore? Or because, you know, I could lose a record deal or yeah. I could not succeed. Then are they gone? And it's no wonder that Emily West wound up being like, I could see something in her. And uh-huh. she saw something in me. She saw the me that wasn't on. Mm-hmm. And she still loved that and gave me the freedom to go, wait a minute. Like, and it's so funny too, because me having a record out or something like that, she's my biggest cheerleader, but yeah. she's not my biggest fan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And I love that. I feel like you guys can be that for each other, right? Yeah, 100%. This doesn't directly answer your question, but I was thinking about your whole perception of second acts. And I think that's a really important concept that I think gets missed a lot. Sean and I have been fortunate to have experienced enough of these instances where our timeline didn't work Mm -hmm. out and we had to just wait for the Mm -hmm. longer timeline, just wait a little longer to see what was actually like the cool part that was panning out. I always say like, hey, look, what timeline are you looking at? Are you looking at the shorter timeline? Because a lot of times you get caught up of like, oh, I just got cut by the Chiefs. Like this next day, this next week, maybe this next three months is going to be difficult. But what's like five years from now, what's this going to look like? And what's the cool thing that's going to happen? I think when you have the confidence of knowing that you are loved by a king, Mm. you're the son or daughter of a king, you can know that if you have a long enough timeline and if you can hang in there and persevere for a long enough time, something really cool is going to happen. And I'm honestly not like a big personal growth guru or anything, so that's not what I was going for there. (laughs) But honestly, just like hang in there and something's cool is going to happen. And that's really hard to see though. Oh yeah. Even going through it. We've gone through that many, many times. And every single time we go through it, we're like, wow, I can't believe that didn't happen. And you're heartbroken and you're confused because you have a path for yourself that you try to plan out. And you're like, well, how do I fix my path and get Mm -hmm. back on it? Because that's the path I was supposed to be on. And it's really hard to have that perspective when it's happening. Yeah. It's funny because here we are sitting here talking today. And on multiple occasions, you guys... There's been a moment where you said, man, if this would have happened, (laughs) then I wouldn't have been able to experience this amazing thing. And Mm -hmm. it's so important to take some inventory of -hmm. your story in that way. I think a lot of times we're just going and we're we're not always thinking about what's happened along the way. And we sort of miss some of those God details in the middle of going, wait a minute, Mm -hmm. like that thing falling apart was such a miracle. Mm -hmm. And so even this is like, it's good for people to hear this. And what you guys just spoke to is what I was going to ask you is like, Hey, what would you say to somebody who's wondering if there is a second act? You know, they've had a dream fall through, they've had a chapter close. And for some, it's going to be less about career aspirations. It's going to be, Hey, my marriage ended and I didn't want it to. And now I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, am I going to be single the rest of I mean, there's people out there, obviously, dealing, and I get those kind of letters all the time, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. where that chapter that they're in the middle of, they cannot see their way to the next <laughs> chapter. And yet we have to believe, the Bible talks about how God's ways are higher than mm-hmm. our ways, that his, his knowledge, it's like, it's a God's eye view, not a bird's eye view. He sees yes. it all. He's not surprised by anything. And he's at work in the details. And you guys are sharing a story that is literally proof of that. But what's so cool about it is you're sharing that story every day through your YouTube channel, through sharing your family story too, and letting people see that in real time. I want to talk about your podcast, speaking of, Mm because that's just another way that you're sharing 
your story. And it's a great title. A couple mm-hmm. things. Appreciate that. And tell me about the podcast. Our little tagline is, why do I forget this every you time I tag lock up. <laughs> <laughs> like, a podcast um, all about couples and the things they go. go through. There you go. This has happened in like four different interviews where <laughs> people are about- like, what's it? <laughs> I've forgotten. We started it because we cover our life on our YouTube channel. And we did this little series on YouTube. It was called our relationship, relation tips or something. You don't remember. You guys I are don't good at anything. titles and stuff, though. <laughs> that's, you guys should be songwriters. That's all him. Yeah. Relation tips? Did you yeah. come up with it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then he came up with a couple things. Couple things. That's great. We're fascinated by relationships. And I get so frustrated talking to so many different people who send us letters about their relationship falling apart or they broke up with a boyfriend or whatever is going on. And they're like, well... It's because I'm not doing A, B, and C. The world says a relationship has to fit in a box. Yeah. And you have to do this, this, and this. And you have to act a certain way. Christians do that almost the most. Oh, yeah. Where it's like, oh my gosh, I messed up this and now I'm done. Yes. (laughs) Which is the opposite of the message of the gospel. (laughs) Literally. You got to do a better job of that. It's bottom line. But we had so many people who were feeling defeated by their relationships. They're like, I want your relationship, which looks perfect. I'm like, we argue all the time. We have so many things that we make mistakes on. We do... We do not argue all the time. (laughs) Okay. Um, (laughs) And we were just fascinated interviewing different couples and hearing how they get through stuff and how they handle things. And to realize that every relationship is so, so incredibly different that there is no box and you can make anything work. Yeah. The goal is we do not give advice. We've been married four years and we have not been through it all. So like we're not sitting there talking about like, oh, well, you know, to have a successful relationship, this is what you got to do. It's just to hear... People's stories, yeah. and hopefully, there's hope that comes through that. Here's the thing I notice I seek to improve every area of my life. Like, if I want to get in shape, like I'm hiring a trainer, I'm whatever, mm-hmm. I'm trying to do all these different things, but rarely do I actually seek out help in the most important areas of my life how to be a better husband, how to be a better father. I need to read some books on that. I want to listen to some podcasts on that. And people need those resources and they need to make them a priority. So yeah. have you found like the people you're interviewing, maybe they're further down the road, some of them, and and you're all kind of getting some wisdom from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I say we don't share advice, I'm talking about Sean and I, we do try to bring in mm-hmm. people who have way better, they're speaking from a point where they can give advice. We've had a lot of different interviews with couples where we almost forget we're interviewing them. You're just having a conversation. And you're just like, yeah, we're just amazed and absorbing the information because it's so cool to hear people so confidently talk about how rough things have been. Yeah. But then how beautiful and how great it is when they get through it. And it's just been really fun for us. Yeah. And like you said, people look at your life online <laughs> and say, oh, I want that. And we got to be real with like the real stuff too. Authenticity is rarely found in our life. There's a song of mine right now. It's called Truth Be Told. And it talks about how it's rarely told. (laughs) And it's like you were talking about with Christians too. It's like a lot of times there's that pressure to present the most perfect version of you, which is the least authentic. Mm -hmm. It's a a diamond versus a cubic zirconia. Uh You know what I mean? And uh, what you know, cubic zirconia? (laughs) What do you say? Is that something out of a Marvel movie? No, that's like a fake diamond. Okay. Cubic zirconia? That's good that he doesn't know that. (laughs) That is That means your rock is real. I know. (laughs) So I I tell, well, in my last book, I told the story of a guy I know who bought his wife for their anniversary two carrot earrings, right? 
beautiful. But he didn't tell her that he bought fake ones to save yeah. some money. She didn't know, showed him off for years. The day finally came where they were moving and the insurance yeah. agent sent him to get an appraisal yeah. on all of her jewelry. And, and that's when she that found way. out that those two carat earrings were fake. And that guy's still sleeping on the pullout couch. <laughs> <laughs> but we want to be real. We want to yeah. be authentic. And you guys are doing that with every turn. So last two things, and then I want to let you guys go get your baby. <laughs> Is anybody watching your nine-month-old right now? Or are you? <laughs> no, she's making herself dinner. Yeah. <laughs> she's finishing her application yeah. for Stanford. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nine-month-old yeah. Vandy grad. Yeah. Presidential chief of staff. <laughs> yeah. I was going to offer you guys coffee when you came. But then I felt weird <laughs> no. because like I've seen you've launched a coffee brand. Yeah. We have. But why coffee? Is it because you love coffee as much as I do? Well, yes, that and. Yes. It was funny how it happened. Every major conversation we've had through our entire dating journey and then marriage has been over coffee. Whenever we have like monthly checkups with each other, when we talked about marriage, when we talked about kids, it was always over coffee. And we had this idea Community and great conversation always happens over coffee. So why not have the best coffee to yeah. go with it? Sean and I love having deep conversations. That's when we feel most connected to each other. We're like, okay, well, what can we do to like encourage or replicate or like catalyze those important connecting conversations? And it was like, oh, well, coffee does it for us. And so we we have like some amazing quality coffee, but we also give people all the tools that we can to have these special moments where they can connect with someone. Love so, it. So Jimmy Valvano, a uh, basketball yeah. coach, said that a good day, you laugh, you cry, and you think. And so we also send people emails where like it's a joke of a day, it's a random fact of the day. We give people challenges. Through the coffee the subscription? Yeah, 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 yeah. When you subscribe to the coffee. So it's like, you know, one of the challenges might be like, hey, text the person you were closest with in high school that like you're thinking of. That's a great for. idea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's our mission from it. It's really good coffee, but also just using that to connect people. And it's called Unicorn. Unicorn, Unicorn with, with a Q. Which is why? Because just like rare conversation, unicorns are rare. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You guys are great at titling things. I want you to name my next kid. I'm just kidding. I'm not having any more kids. You also help set up a taste profile, right? Yeah. That's what I saw, which was really cool. Yep. Yeah. So we little... have like a quiz that will match you to like your best coffee, okay. basically. And give you it at the frequency that you need. So unicorncoffee.com, unicorn with a Q. And then you can Because the... legal. <laughs> Trademark Because issues. the unicorns have great attorneys. Like the real unicorns <laughs> will come after you, yeah. right? Yeah. Yes. Unicorncoffee.com. Yeah. Unicorn with a Q. Yes. And you can find out your taste profile. Yep. That's awesome. You can see pictures of me with long hair, which is really different. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's some good stuff. <laughs> Okay, so here's last question I want to ask you, and this is a question I ask everybody, and it has to do with the blue couch. And I ask you what your blue couch story is, and what I mean by that is a defining moment in your faith, and one of you can answer it, or both of you, maybe it's something, a defining moment, you know, that's happened since you've been married. But for me, I was a 13-year-old preacher's kid who didn't care much about matters of faith because it was kind of the family business, but... I found God watching a Billy Graham crusade by accident, sitting on a blue couch in my living room. And whenever I feel like, gosh, man, I'm a million miles away from like that moment where like it felt most real to me. Like, I feel like God reminds me of that blue couch and brings me back to that. I think there's power in remembering like those moments because it lets us know that like God doesn't stay at the place where you first found him, that he 
comes with us all the way and stays with us. And so I like to ask, like, if you can think of a blue couch story in your life for a moment where your faith became real to you. It was back in 2012 when I was trying to make the Olympic team again. My blue couch moment. I was trying to make the Olympics for all the wrong reasons, which I kind of talked about earlier. I was trying to please people. I was doing it for money. I felt lost trying to climb that ladder again and find success. And I just got really overwhelmed, walked into the gym one day, was standing on a beam, that's my blue couch, and felt like God just talked to me. And I was in one of probably the lowest places of my life, just not happy and not who I was supposed to be, and felt like he literally just said to me, you're good. Mm. Like, you're going to be fine. And I'm a massive people pleaser. And if I were to quit gymnastics at that time, I was going to have to call Fortune 500 companies. I was going to have to let down my agencies, my like everyone, my coaches. And that was my biggest fear in life. And I remember him just saying, you're good. Mm -hmm. And jumped off the beam, Uh, walked right out of the gym, called all of them. And it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, but I've never felt freer. And it was just embracing what I knew I I needed to do, but not what everyone told me was wrong. That's beautiful. It's what you were saying earlier about when you know you're a child of the king. Yeah. You know? And you don't mm-hmm. have to worry about letting other people down because he's still proud of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. What about you, Andrew? Freshman year of college, I get a text from my dad. He said, our house burned down today. <laughs> and I was like, is this a metaphor for something? Like, what do you mean our house burned and down? And if you know his dad, it, that's not out of the norm <laughs> yeah. to like receive metaphors. I mean, he's a very... <laughs> like like something you have to decipher. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so I call him and... I'm like, what do you mean by our house burning down today? He's like, no, our house is literally on fire. I got to go. The car's about to blow up. Oh, no. I had like my whole life amassed like walls of jerseys and medals. Yeah. Not Olympic gold medals, unfortunately, but like, you know, (laughs) local, like the regional trophies and everything. And I spent most of my time earning that stuff. And then to have it be gone in like a 20 minute time span, just like all the representations of that time, it was like, oh, okay. Let me store up value where moth and rust does not destroy. And so like, I think about that and it's like, that was a really cool moment where it was like, I had to reshape my perspective. What it's all about. Yeah. My goodness. See, I love asking that question (laughs) because I always love the answer and both of those answers are incredible. And those answers are literally encouraging somebody else right now to think about a moment. And somebody out there listening maybe hasn't had their blue couch moment or they don't know that they've had it yet. And this could lead to that. Somebody going, wait a minute okay, God, maybe you're real. Maybe you want to meet me right where I am today. Maybe it's about showing me what my second act is going to be. Maybe it's about me not being afraid of letting others around me down because I'm less than perfect. Maybe it's about me being willing to be the most authentic version of me and chasing after your plan, your major league plan for me versus my minor league plan. All those things we have accomplished today. (laughs) No, I'm uh, I'm thankful that you guys would hang with me today. And after this episode, I'm going to be drinking (laughs) unicorn coffee while listening to couple things. (laughs) But seriously, I have growed so much (laughs) just from talking to you. And guys, thanks for joining me on the podcast. This is a real treat. Thanks for letting us hang out. Now it's time for Songs from the Story House. Today's song from the Story House is Something Greater. One day we were strangers Ain't it crazy how a single moment Changes life as you know it And now we got the same last name Thought I was moving to Nashville 
just to sign a record deal. But my reason changed when I saw her face. Do you ever get the feeling that there's something greater happening here? One day we were strangers. Ain't it crazy how a single moment changes life as you know it? And now we got the same last name. Thought I was moving to Nashville just to sign a record deal, but my reason changed when I saw her face. That her is she, that she is you, Mrs. Emily West. I've brought you to the Story House to talk about this song with me. Welcome. Thank you. We just had a great interview with Sean and Andrew, and they shared their story. And then you and I went to their house and were guests on their podcast, and both episodes are airing in the same day. Love it. We teamed up. That's mm-hmm. just genius marketing, genius. basically. But we had a great talk with them, didn't we? Mm-hmm. And the interview that I got to do with them for this show, they shared a lot about their story of coming together and meeting and how even some of the disappointments along the way really are what allowed them to meet. And we were just kind of constantly coming back to that theme of how, man, God's involved in the details, how he's orchestrating everything and how it's really unmistakable. And it made me think of this song and that's why I wanted to feature it. But I can't feature this song without you talking about it too, because it really is a song about how my awareness of what brought me to Nashville and why I came here, how all of that changed in you and I getting to meet, how we met, and how the Lord was really orchestrating that all along. And just those moments of amazement where you're like, oh, wait a minute. Like, I thought I was heading this direction for this reason, but now I'm in this direction for this reason. And I can see just a glimpse of God's greater plan. I know that you sensed that in a hurry. I mean, probably just by laying eyes on me for mm-hmm. the first time, you were like, this is it, right? This is my future. You're my future. <laughs> You're my future. (laughs) Yes. You know, and speaking about disappointments, I think back now that we've been married 17 years and two kids and a really beautiful life that like I was working at Virgin Records and the doors closed and I had to find another job and roundabout that led me to Universal South to a job that I loved. And then you walked in. So literally the disappointment of this label closing and maybe not getting a job here, but getting a job at the place where I ended up meeting you. And likewise, I had been rejected by several record labels. And if I had signed with one of those labels earlier, but for three years I was rejected and working and writing songs and trying to build up to see my dream come true. And it was one of my last options Mm -hmm. was to come and audition for Universal South Records. And I walked into Starstruck Studios, owned by the great Reba McIntyre. I thought to myself, here's your one chance fancy. Don't let (laughs) me down. And I stood up in front of the executives, and I just thought it was going to be a bunch of suits and ties, you know? And I saw you in the audience and immediately got even more nervous than I was before. And I was already like a ball of nerves. I mean, I can't adequately describe the anxiousness, the nervousness that goes into standing up in front of a record label and bearing your soul and hoping they like you. It's just very scary. But we got to meet that day, mm-hmm. and what? I, wa- say <laughs> I walked over to tell you that you had done a great job, and what did you do? You blew me off. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I blew you off, but not because I didn't think you were hot. <laughs> Thanks. I was like, holy cow, she's way out of my league, kind of gorgeous no. and super friendly. But the reason why, and I told you later, <laughs> my hands were super sweaty. Yeah, you didn't want to shake me. <laughs> that I didn't want to shake your hand, because I had this like 
sweaty hand thing going on. Mm-hmm. When you're auditioning for a deal, mm-hmm. you get the sweaty hands. Sweaty hands. So I didn't want to shake your hand because that's a horrible first impression. So I was weighing my options in that moment. Okay, what's the worst first impression? <laughs> a cold shoulder or a sweaty hand? Yeah. I opted for the cold shoulder. That's good. And then your guy that was with you playing, Sam Mazel, was like, hey, I think that girl's into me. <laughs> Remember? Yeah, and I was like, what? (laughs) But I was trying to keep focused. I had a record deal to get. I didn't have time to focus on a girl that day. And turns out I got a record deal and a wife in the same day. You know what's crazy about that, though, is that label then was shifting directions. And they were a country music label, really, Mm -hmm. and sold my contract to another Mm -hmm. company. That had turned you down. That had rejected me. A few years before. And so here we are. That's just incredible. I mean, I see it, you see it, mm-hmm. but it's like, hey, perhaps we were there for something greater than just you working in the music industry and me trying to make some music. We were able to meet each other. And now, like you said, we've celebrated 17 years. A fun little musical footnote about this recording the female vocal that you hear on this song is none other than the great Carrie Underwood. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> She sounds amazing. You're still upset that I didn't pick you, right? I am. I mean, every album, every one, I've never been asked to sing. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to mute the music playing underneath right now, and I'm going to give you a chance to sing. Ready? Go. Do you ever get the feeling that there's something greater happening here? Oh, yeah, that was beautiful. Thank you. That was incredible. Thank you. So as you can see, it was a clear decision why I had to call <laughs> Carrie Underwood. That was lovely, honey. Thank you. You have a voice that that only I could listen to. Um. <laughs> My favorite lyrics of the song, probably yours too, honey. Mm-hmm. Six pounds, ten ounces, I'm holding perfect in a little pink blanket. And I thought I moved to Nashville just to sign a record deal. Thank you, Lord, for Lulu West and Delaney West, our two beautiful daughters. I combined their weights into that one little part. So Delaney was 6'12", mm-hmm. Lulu was 5'10", so I did 6'10", mm-hmm. so that they could both be in that song. Hey, maybe this song from the Story House and hearing me and Emily talk and hearing Sean and Andrew can help you today to live your life with eyes wide open, being aware at every turn that God is orchestrating something incredibly beautiful with your life. And even the disappointments can turn into the aha moments, those moments where you realize that God had a perfect plan all along. This is Emily West. I'm so thankful that you were part of his plan for me. Thanks. Me too. Say it with more conviction. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Thanks, Annie. Me too. Okay, that's better. in a little pink blanket and I thought I moved to Nashville just to sign a record deal Well, to close out today's show my dad is here. He's my dad and he gives good advice and that's why this segment is called Dad Vice He is my dad and he gives good advice and that's why this segment is called Dad Vice
And today is a special occasion because just this past weekend, we celebrated my mom and my dad's 50th wedding anniversary. That's 5-0. In a world that has shown us that you can just give up when love gets hard, my mom and my dad have chosen the different path. They've chosen the one that I envy and look up to, one that we can all find inspiration from, celebrating 50 years of marriage. And we got to celebrate this past weekend. It was so special. So I thought we'd carry that celebration in to close out our show today. My dad is here. Dad, would you maybe give us some words of wisdom, some secrets to success for you and mom to have made it through 50 years? What's the secret? Well, that's a good question, Matthew. In fact, I've had several people ask me that question when they found out that your mom and I were married 50 years, that we made it to the 50, the golden anniversary. Just a little history about your mom and me. We met at Bible college. I was 20, and your mom was 19. At 17, I had this defining moment of asking Jesus Christ to be Lord of my life. And I said, whatever you want me to do. My brother Jim had been killed in Vietnam. I said, Lord, whatever you want me to do. And I felt a call to go to Bible college. And that's where I met your mom. And a year later, we were, we were married. Neither one of us had a clue of what was ahead of us, but we were smart enough to know that there's certain secrets that every couple needs, and they're right from God's Word. The first one is Ecclesiastes 4. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. If one has fallen, the other will lift him up, and a threefold cord is not broken. This verse is our life verse because with God we have been able to stand in times of storm. We've held on to each other and to God in the good times and the difficult times. We make God the center of our marriage. He is our third strand. And that's what we always tell every couple that I perform their weddings for. That's what we've shared with each one of you as our sons. And then we also stood on Mark chapter 10, verse 9, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And right there tells you that there is an enemy of marriage, and that's the devil. He doesn't like Christian marriages, and he'll come. But the fact is what God has joined together, the devil himself cannot separate. That's good. And there was a quote you read the other night at our family celebration about what a perfect marriage is that really struck me and I think will speak to the listener today. Can you read that quote again? Yeah. In fact, we have two quotes that go right together. One, this quote, a perfect marriage is just two imperfect people who refuse to give up on each other. Love that. Those are really powerful words. And every couple, you need that threefold cord And then you need the determination that you'll never give up on your mate no matter what. And that's so important. And you'll be tested in that area. Then the the quote that goes right along with that, couples that are meant to be are the ones who go through everything that was designed to tear them apart and come out even stronger. And I like to say that 50 years later, we are stronger. And my wife says that she signed up for another 50 years, and people say she deserves a medal to put up with me. So here we go. Well, he's my dad, and he gives good advice, and he and my mom are just incredible people. And so we celebrate you today on the Matthew West Podcast. We should have mom on here to tell her secrets of success, too. We'll do that at some point. So congratulations on 50 years, Dad and Mom. Love you guys, and thanks for being part of the show today. All right. It's a pleasure. 
Hey, if you'd like to receive more encouraging messages just like the one my dad shared, we have a nonprofit ministry called Pop We, P-O-P-W-E. Go to popwe.org to get some more inspirational materials. We send out a weekly devotion called Day One Devos. It's free of charge. If you'd like to sign up for that, go to popwe.org. You can even submit a prayer request and know that thousands of people around the country will be praying for you. So join the Pop We community by going to popwe.org. Man, there are just some people that you hang out with and you leave ready to just run through a brick wall. That's Sean and Andrew for me, man. I'm so glad to know them, glad to call them my friends. To find out more about Andrew and Sean, to follow them on socials, to find their YouTube series or their coffee company, we're posting all of that information in the show notes at matthewwest.com slash podcast. That's matthewwest.com slash podcast. All right, go live a meaningful story with your life. And remember, it's your story for his glory. God bless you guys. I'll see you next time. Seriously, I, I, I do.